0: Welcome to episode 8 of Teachers Lift. We've got a very special episode today for a number of reasons. Our guest today is somebody well known to many teachers around the world, David Noonan. We're excited to welcome David today. He's been helping teachers for his entire career, and we're looking forward to chatting with him for advice. We're also celebrating the expansion of our team, welcoming a new host from the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, Tess Ho. Tess is joined by Phil in hosting this episode today, as they chat with David about his experiences teaching online. Now I'll turn it over to Tess and Phil. Welcome to
1: the Teachers Lift podcast. Today, we're very fortunate to have Professor David Noonan in with us to come and talk to us. Before I introduce him, I'm going to introduce my co-host today, Tess Hogue, former colleague of mine at Hong Kong U. Hi, Tess.
2: Hi, everyone. So, How are
1: you? used to work at Hong Kong U, these days plying her trade at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. Um, and it just so happens that our guest today, David Inham, was also at Hong Kong U. So it feels a bit like we're, we're reforming the band, Tess.
2: That's right. This goes back many years ago now. How many years, or should we actually state that oh, out? It might might be revealing
1: ages, but I I started I'd in 2005. So. David gave you my job in Hong Kong. U. I imagine the same for you a year before, right?
2: Exactly. That's right. I do remember when you started. Yeah.
1: Let me uh, let me just try and briefly introduce David. Now his CV is is so long it would take the full 35 minutes I think to cover it in the podcast. So I'll just say a couple of things and. Uh, Let me see if I cover this and and do some of David's uh, extensive uh, experience justice. But he was the former TESOL president, I believe, in 2002, the world's largest language teaching association. He was chair and professor of applied linguistics at the University of Hong Kong. He was a founding dean of Anaheim University Graduate School of Education and the president of Anaheim University during that time. Obviously, the author of several textbooks and academic books well-known to all ELT practitioners around the world. Um, perhaps what's more surprising to some is maybe, um, uh, you know, well, let me first welcome Dave before I get into the question. So welcome to the teacher's lift, David. Thank you, Phil. <laughs> I, did, I, did I miss anything there? That was
2: obviously very brief,
1: but anything crucial that I should have put in there that didn't? No,
3: it's, uh, it, was, it was so perfectly pitched that I can't <laughs> wait to hear what I'm going to say. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so one thing I wanted to start by asking you, David, I mean, a lot of that experience and you're, you're so well known to a lot of people, perhaps what people might not be so familiar with is that you have quite a lot of experience with technology that goes way back to, to, to some of these things. Like you've probably written less on technology, but you've got quite a bit of extensive experience. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, my experience
3: goes back quite a long way. In the mid 90s, I was approached by um, a, the, the owners of a an online university called Anaheim University. And they'd asked me to be the founding dean of the Faculty of Education, focusing specifically on the development, initially, of a master's degree in TESOL. Uh, We subsequently added diplomas in uh, teaching young learners, a diploma in TESOL, and then a doctorate in education. And so, um, as you can imagine, back in the mid, uh, I think our first first class was on a hot Saturday afternoon in early summer. And I was sitting on my balcony and down in Shawan Drive, looking out over the South China Sea and uh, waiting anxiously for the, of course, it was dial up and uh, waiting anxiously, to, looking at the cursor, winking on my um, on my computer. And of course, we had a we had a text chat in those days. Um, and then suddenly there was a, a little ping and one of the students who was teaching in northern Philippines turned up. There's a student from Patagonia, quite a few students from uh, various parts in Asia, particularly Japan and Korea. And I, thought, and I thought to myself, wow, I've seen the future and I think it's going to work. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, the, that first class actually was completely chaotic because it was text chat and um, uh, the students themselves saw it as a typical uh, text, I suppose a lot of younger, people don't know what these text chats were like, but they were completely chaotic because people would just come in and start
1: uh,
3: talking and talking and talking and other people would come in and there'd be non-sequiturs and all the rest of it. And I quickly realised that um, I had to develop a system that would uh, control the traffic. And so ironically, given the fact that I had spent many years uh, researching and promoting the notion of uh, learner-centered instruction, experiential learning and all the rest of it, I suddenly became a very teacher-centred teacher. (laughs) And so, but I developed a series of protocols um, where the students had to bid for a turn. They had to, so so I had a symbol for raising their hand. If they wanted to ask a question, they would type a question mark. During, if somebody else was speaking and they wanted to agree, disagree, or add something as well, they could just type in an A, a D, and all the rest of it. Another, Another feature of the protocols was because it's because the typing was relatively slow, and because some of the students were extremely slow, very often um, they would be typing up, say, a 200-word response, but there was nothing showing on the screen. And so um, I instructed them to make their turns fairly short, and if they wanted to be continuing, to put three dots, which was, and then post, so that we just knew that they were there and they were. And, and then when they were finished, they had to do two backslashes to indicate that was the end of their turn. So it was all—it all, was all very clunky, I have to say. Um, so that that involvement has been going on now for many years, over 20 years. I'm doing less uh, of the teaching these days because, as I've got a, an eyesight issue, as you as you know, and as we've developed, we went went through various uh, iterations over those years. We started off once. Uh, once we we went we moved to Blackboard, then we went to Moodle, uh, then we went to audio chat, then we went to video chat, and now we have quite a complex uh, uh, interface, which is impossible for somebody with poor eyesight to manage because we have a we have the regular screen, we have two text boxes, one of which is for the students to be making comments and asides, the other one is for the the technical support to communicate directly with the with the lecturer or the person who's conducting the classes. But um, for me, it was difficult because, as you know, some of the, with, with the increasing sophistication of the of the platforms, you've got all sorts of little icons. You've got to be posting your PowerPoint presentations, keeping up the thread of the conversation. Um, there's a limited number of students who can be on the video, so typically, say, only six to eight students can be on at one time. So if you've got twenty or thirty students, you have to remember to rotate them. All the students, of course, can uh, can hear the the, uh, the lecture and the interactions, and can make take part in the interactions themselves um, by signalling on the text chat that they want to make a contribution, and then every twenty minutes you rotate the students through the through the videos, so everybody gets to see everybody else. Um, so it has become, and so a ninety minute session these days is quite uh, is quite formidable. Very briefly, I'll, the other the other experiences that I've had um, have been on the not on the teacher education side so much, although at the moment I'm also working with the Melbourne Graduate uh, Institute of Education, MGSE, um, on their uh, advising them and taking part in podcasts and so on with their, with their program. But also I've had a long involvement with um, bodies that have been involved in, the direct, uh, in direct teaching operations, the largest of which was um, a company based in San Francisco called Global English. And I got associated with them at about the same time as I was working with Anaheim. So it was back in the 90s. And um, they were a very, they were established by um, a chap who had uh, started um, uh, a software, the first, it was called The Learning Company, and it was the first educational software. Um, company in the world. And I think he was, he was originally bought out by Broderbund software for something like five or six billion US dollars. And as he was comparatively young, he thought he's not a language specialist by any means, but he realized that um, uh, he, the demand for English around the globe was exploding. And uh, one, and it was only technology that was would be scalable to have high quality professional courses developed. And so I was brought in as a senior uh, consultant to that to that um, outfit, and that, that was very interesting as well. In addition, I was series editor for a couple of textbook series that global Eng- that Pearson in the Pearson Learning um, developed. Specifically, one called Our Discovery Island, which was a fascinating project because, in addition to, they, they really went high end tech. I mean, they, they've always been a company. Uh, that have gone that way. And so um, there, there was a great deal, in addition to all of the usual things, such as um, um, electronic whiteboard versions of their materials and all the rest of it, they had for each of their six levels, they had, a, uh, they had an island, our Discovery Island. So and these, these, were like, these are like web-based programs that included games, interactive games and so on. And then the other project that I've been involved in re- in the last few years has been what I, what, what's called the Smart Tree Project, And that's a project um, which has been field tested in Vietnam and Korea for primary school or elementary school learners, um, which is a blended learning program. So so it's a a blend of a program, uh, a digital program uh, developed initially by a publishing company in Korea that I've been involved in for many years and Korea Telecom. And um, that was then it was being piloted in Vietnam and also in Korea. The rationale there being that uh, we'd had a developing country in Asia and a developed country in Asia. And so that would give us a means of, uh, of, of comparison when we did our evaluation. So I'm going to be referring uh, to, um, these projects and these, these experiences as I make my points, I want to do two things in the time available. First of all, make a, a couple of general comments about the lessons that I learned, sometimes the hard way, um, as I, Became more experienced in online teacher education and, and the direct teaching of English. Back in the mid 90s, back in the mid 90s, there was a great deal of scepticism uh, on, on both counts in terms of teacher education, but also particularly in terms of uh, language education. People so would say, "How could you possibly uh, learn another language through the internet?" And so, in the in the early days, we actually had a lot of a lot of hard work to do to uh, encourage, particularly encourage teachers to join the Anaheim program because they said, well, this, first of all, that there was a, uh, and when I was, when I was involved in the eighties back in Australia in, um, in distance education, running graduate programs, as well as uh, face-to-face programs through, mainly throughout Asia, but, but globally where you'd send off packets of materials and sometimes never hear from the students again, it was, a, the, the attrition rate was massive mm. over the, over 20 years, the attrition rate uh, at Anaheim has been extremely low extremely though and that's, uh,
1: that's amazing really isn't it you, you yeah. hear so many of these mm. courses when they sign up for these things that they, so many people drop out they all start very keen and very yeah. quickly with the technology they 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 go so what was the difference there how did they um how did I manage
3: that and from the very start I, I made a uh, made it a, as, a, as a key principle that we would develop um, communities of practice if you're familiar with that term we, yeah but, yes. and so we um we had we all, the, the other thing that we had with the masters and the doctoral program that we had the students had to attend an intensive residential during the summer uh, usually in July or August somewhere either in either at Anaheim itself or some or we 'd rotate the residential between the, the, the west coast and also somewhere in Asia such as Seoul or Tokyo. And that was fantastic because the students had often been working for up to a year with uh, fellow students. And once we'd, got, once we'd developed the video capabilities, they knew what each other looked like. But before that, the first time they'd actually seen each other was when they turned up at the residential. So there was the residential, there was the discussion forum, which students were actively encouraged to contribute to during the week. So they had the synchronous uh, lesson, 90 minute sessions once a week. They had the discussion forum um, and they had there were various other means by which we paid a great deal of care and attention to the to the to the students and their needs and so um, I think the fact that we, we were we were aware those of us who'd been involved in traditional distance education prior to this we were very much aware of the uh, the lonely the, the loneliness of, of long distance uh, education um, of various kinds. Um, and interestingly enough, I'm jumping ahead a, a bit here, but in the, at this time I was also, I'd also developed when I was uh, directing and teaching on the a parallel MA at the University of Hong Kong. And at, um, at a particular point through, coincidentally, um, my research methods course, which was being offered to the uh, Anaheim students and also offered to the Hong Kong U students happened to coincide. And so I set up a little study. I asked both cohorts to keep a diary of, their, of the amount of time each week that they were spending on their course and to, to give an indication of, uh, of what they were doing. Were they doing their, the set readings? Were they contributing to the discussion forum? Uh, they were taking, doing preparation for the, uh, the, the uh, synchronous class and so on. And then that, what was fascinating was that when I looked at the, the journals, the face-to-face students, uh, when when I did a rough tally of the, the the number of hours per week they were spending on their masters study, it was about 12. The mean amount of time that the distance students were spending on their studies was dub- more than double that. And in fact, wow. a couple of them were doing and these are full-time working full-time, you know, in Tokyo or you know California or Patagonia or wherever, um, and they were some of them were spending up to 50 hours a week. Wow. So it, what, 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 yeah.
2: so, so you're saying that the uh, intrinsically the uh, fact of working online provides more motivation?
3: More motivation. And, 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 and they just, like the Hong Kong U students, as you know, would be teaching all over the Hong yes. Kong New the territories. They'd come and they'd...
2: they'd I remember do. your course. Remember I did your research methods? Right,
1: yeah,
3: yeah. Right.
2: You're one yeah. of the
1: people that brought that average down test to about 12...
2: <laughs> no, I remember. I think you gave me a distinction, didn't you? You said yeah. it was going to be either a fail or a distinction. But nothing yeah, in between. you just <laughs>
3: snuck over the bar into the <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I, one of the things that I do remember, Tess, was your thesis, which was based on your father-in-law's journals.
2: That's right. And yes, adios recuerdos.
3: Yeah, and, or uh, memorias. Yes. I, I, I don't know if you... I was trying to encourage you to publish it, but I don't know if you ever did, but. Uh,
2: Oh i did. I never thought it was like uh, it was good enough but um but I certainly have, have continued to be interested in next, that area next
1: year I next, uh-huh. next year tests I mean, just one next question year, that that comes sure. up from that david you you know you, you there seems to be this difference then between the you know what what students are doing online what they're doing face to face i mean for the current situation in Hong Kong, a lot of teachers are obviously wondering about how to cope, how to sort of move to online teaching. I mean, should we be trying to just replicate what we do face to face, or is this something that's a different starting point, do you think?
3: Yeah, so I want to make a number of observations, and my very first observation, you must have been reading my mind, Phil, you you cannot simply transfer classroom skills and classroom Mm. content to online Mm. instruction
2: and yet i think that's what's
3: happening well, that's what's exactly what they're doing um yeah and i've i've actually seen some of the some of the results where um a, a teacher will and this is not from the english center of course but a teacher will simply get in front of a computer and drone on for an hour um, putting everybody completely to sleep um so and even even those teachers who are quite inventive some of the teachers who are working that i'm working with at mgse have found that the that the kinds of that they want to stay as closely as po- close as possible to the kind of experiential uh, cooperative learning model that uh, i've been encouraging encouraging them to develop and so having getting students into small groups getting them to go to breakout rooms carry out various tasks and so on and come then come back into a plenary session and um in fact even the even in the text chat days i tried to do that with a varying degrees of success because um, I'd set up a number of breakout rooms and of course the students (laughs) would disappear into the internet and (laughs) go on for the rest of the lesson. Also trying to get them to come back. Often they got so engaged that they didn't want to come back into the plenary Mm. session. But um, yeah, so um, it takes, it takes uh, considerable experience and time to develop these skills. And the naive assumption on the part of university administration that you can simply migrate this stuff Mm. overnight from classroom to, to, to uh, the internet is absolutely and completely uh, um,
2: wrong. Because so David, what about the role of um, authentic assessments um, in, in constructing uh, you know, better learning materials? It seems to me that it might be more difficult in our area to construct authentic ass- assessments. What do you think?
3: Um, one of the techniques that at MGSE the, the colleagues have been uh, experimenting with are what, what's called group dynamic assessment. And this is where they're given an assessment task at the very beginning of the course. Uh, and particularly this is a course on, on uh, global, globalisation glo- issues in global English. And they, they're put into groups. One of the, re- one of the motivations was the, the instructors, there were, there were two instructors on this course and they were very concerned that the, there, there were about half of the students were overseas students and about half were locals. And near the twain shall meet. And so what they wanted to do was to try and try and gently force the students to actually start working together. So they they did a bit of social engineering and put the, put the students together into uh, five different groups, each of which had a had about an equal number of uh, of overseas and local students. And so each week the students had to spend they, they'd come together in, in class and they would um, and I realized that this this is all this is being transferred also to um, to the online version where they, they work in breakout rooms so they spend a certain amount of time each week it's basically project-based learning so they might have they might have to do a do a project such as creating a video or um, uh, one group did a very creative thing. They actually did a play, which was based around uh, an issue, a critical issue in in global globalisation. I think I think you've probably enjoyed that. Yeah. Anyway, so for about for about half an hour in their three-hour session, they would get together and they would share their ideas. They talk about who would take on what, which responsibilities. They just and it was totally self-directed. And I was talking to one of the teachers last night, and she said, "Well." Actually, having migrated, migrated this part of the program to the internet is great because each of these, she said, when it was in a class, I would have to circulate around each of the five groups. And I could only get a, I could eavesdrop, and I could only get a general idea about um, uh, where they were going and what their needs were and what sort of uh, prompting I needed to give. But the fact that these are all being recorded and archived is that... Um, uh, after, they've, after they've done their, their sessions. And again, they, can, they don't have to do it at a particular time. It's wherever, whenever they are arranged at their mutual convenience for them all to be together any time during that week. They can come together um, and then have their discussion, further their project. Uh, the teacher gives f- critical feedback. Um, and that's why it's called dynamic assessment because it's constantly changing. And so the idea is for them at the end by the end of the, the semester to have together their play or their um, uh, their documentary video documentary or whatever and but but then the, the teachers themselves once the, t- the students have done their group work and, and posted them onto the onto the site the, the, the teachers can actually watch each each and every one of those in detail watching each, each and every one of those um, discussions and give qualitative feedback to the students again you know that's one of the other to uh, that's one of the other uh, Points that I would probably raise under under one of the cons is that online instruction is massively more time consuming than face-to-face instruction. Massive. Oh, don't we know it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, simply monitoring the discussion forum, for example, um, and as sometimes if I have a, an online class of say 20 uh, teachers doing doing DMA program or the doctorate three or four times a day i'll check the discussion forum. and it's like trying to empty the ocean with a small bucket <laughs> you, know, you, you think you've dealt with and responded and given feedback on the issues and then two hours later so later you get a whole lot more yeah. contributions coming in and so again cool. in, coming back to that example of the dynamic group assessment uh that that would mean that this in in, in the in class session the teacher would have half an hour to get around the five groups that um, sometimes these groups would when they were working independently online, would be talking for up to an hour, and so that could be up to five hours rather than 30 minutes that the teacher would have. To, if if the teacher were going to be, um, you know, assiduously watching the whole thing. Yes, yeah, so there's, there's a couple of things
1: so, there um, then that are clearly things that need to be thought out beforehand. It's certainly that workload issue for teachers and what they're doing there. You've already mentioned the difference between the face-to-face and the online teaching. I mean, what what other lessons have you learnt along the way? You know from your experience with the technology that, that, that you feel we should know about yeah uh,
3: one of the things that came out of my evaluation of the smart tree project where I spent time in Vietnam in schools in uh, Hanoi and also in Seoul uh, and that was that was absolutely fantastic I just loved working with the kids and the, particularly the they're just so un- unbelievably un- 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 uninhibited I remember going into, into a first grade class and I was sitting at the back of the room trying to be unobtrusive and this little girl who was sitting in front of me, she just reached around, she took my hand, and she wouldn't let go. <laughs> oh. And I the teacher, I was going like this to the teacher, pointing <laughs> <went to laughs> me, and she said, oh, yes, she's just adopted you, she likes pets. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you don't get that in every class.
2: <laughs> no, it's of, of the lessons,
3: One of the lessons that, that emerged there was, that it was a, as I say, it was a blended model where at various parts in the lesson, the teacher would get the students working in pods where each had their, their own tablet, and there were... There were five students per, per pod and they would, they would or like a carol and uh, a hexagonal pod actually, six. And so they do some whole class work. They might do a role play or they might do a mime or they might do some songs and then they'll go into their, into their pods and they do some work on the digital pro- program. And one of the things that was, became very obvious to me was that the teachers hadn't really thought through what is it that the, what is it that the digital program can offer the online program can offer that is superior to the face to face and what is it the face to face can do that the that the digital program is not so good so good at and so obviously pretty obviously one of the, one of the great advantages of uh, of uh, digital learning, even in that classroom setting, is the teacher could individualise you know, or give, this, give the learners a choice. You know, they could work on their pronunciation or they could do some quizzes or they could do one of the online games and so on. And she could then give individual attention to different to different students. Um, and But the teachers themselves, when I said to them, so what are the things, when I asked that question, what are the things that the digital programme does best in your situation and what are the things that, that work best in the, in the in the face to face parts of the lesson, they were at a loss words. they hadn't really thought mm. that through, so that was something that we I did some workshops with them to get them thinking about uh, the the benefits of uh, opportunities for the learners to do um, individualized work um, another Another thing that I learned was that teachers still matter when the global English program was started, and as I say, it was started by well meaning business group who knew nothing about language education, although they, they did hire a whole lot of people who knew quite a bit about it. Um, their, their, their idea was to have up to like 20 million learners. They really wanted to scale this up. That's what they call it, global English. And so they said, well, we, we, we want it to be teacherless. And I said, I, I, I have, very, have very great doubts about whether you can do that. And they said, well, because it's scalable, you know, we can't. If we've got 20 million learners, we can't have enough teachers. They eventually, they eventually discovered that they did have to uh, go back to go back to the idea of having having teacher involvement. In the what program. do you think? What do
1: you think was the catalyst that made them reconsider that? I mean, clearly financially it didn't make sense, but there must have been something that. That made them change their mind
2: yeah I'd be interested to know it comes
3: back to what I said about the success of the Anaheim U program, which was to create this community uh-huh. of learners and so when the, when it was teacherless, the students the, the attrition rate was massive um, because it was just nobody I mean obviously they, the students were working through these ten levels uh, but without without having the opportunity to have any kind of human interaction either with other learners or with, with teachers. The uh, the attrition was was mm. quite massive, and so they ended up they ended up uh, recruiting teachers. Uh, I was involved in again. I was involved in training them on how to teach English online. But they had students could could go into classes 24/7 because because there were t- students from around the world. They had uh, they had classroom teachers available 24 hours a day, and um, again there were all sorts of issues that that uh, came up. But that, that started to address this issue of beginning to develop communities of learners. And, and I strongly encourage the teachers to cons- try and, well, it, it suited the teachers as well to, to have, say, three sessions a day at set times and to try and encourage students who were beginning to form a community to come together at that time. And so that's what, so that that was the reason for the attrition, that's, that was the reason for going back to having teachers because they were. They were the kind of glue that held the, the pedagogical program together. Um, the other thing that, that I learned from our from my involvement in Anaheim was the importance of always having te- technical backup. I mean, when we when we started back in the mid back in the mid nineties, uh, um, the, uh, the the te- technical glitches were, were were profound. They still they still are, to be quite honest with you, because the um, the other the other Interesting challenge is that as soon as we got used to a particular platform, be it Blackboard, then the Blackboard, then the, the, the university would migrate to Moodle, and as soon as we got onto Moodle, then they'd migrate to another program or or introduce uh, uh, some other innovation, and so the, you then have to be co- constantly upgrading and and uh, upgrading your schools mm. and so on. So um, for the, for the for the synchronous classes, whenever the synchronous classes are being held, and the instructor can be anywhere in the world, uh, and the students are as well. Um, the te- technical office at uh, at Anaheim University will always have a, a technician monitoring the course and, be, and ready to come in and
1: to uh, to solve any problems that arise I think but I, I just wanted to ask you something more David about this this community of, of practice because you mentioned it a few times now um, you know how, how would you go about online yeah. trying to bring around that community? Is it something that 's in the technology or is it something that 's a teacher? skill uh, that can be developed, it's the teacher who, who brings about the community. I mean, these things are difficult to force, aren't they? You have to kind of seed them, and how do you, how do you think mm. you can do that?
2: And I'd just like to add to that, um, How, in practical terms, would this be, uh, would you emphasise more during class time or outside? Because it's difficult to get students to commit to outside class time.
3: Yeah, well, that's, that's where we didn't have a problem with the Anaheim students. They were highly motivated. And as I said, some of them were spending up to 50 hours. Now, that 50 hours might be, uh, like, for example, there were, there were and again, this come back, comes back to, to Phil's issue. Yeah, as a teacher, there are certain things you can do. But um, one of the things that we found, certainly when I did that little study, and I said, my God, you know, to some of, one of the groups that had constituted themselves outside of the formal structures of the university. And so, um, and that came as a real surprise to me. They developed up their own little um, email and their own little Skype meeting systems. And they would sometimes, like, one of them was in Tokyo. Another one was in, um, she was Korean-American working in Tokyo. There was a South African woman working in Seoul and a couple of other uh, people. And they would very often meet, meet during their lunch hours just on Skype or on uh, or, or on the um, or, or through email or a chat. And they would just have say 15, 20 minutes. And so over the over the course of the week, they that really added up. And uh, that was one way in which the students themselves um, developed their own little communities of practice, w- of which we were I was completely ignorant. I would still be ignorant if I hadn't um, asked them to keep that keep these journals. But yes, yeah, I I'm fully having having spent you know 15 years at Hong Kong U with Undergraduates uh, and graduates of all kinds, um, but again, coming back to the the little comparison between the online Anaheim online students and the Hong Kong U master students, the master students typically would come. They would work together in their in their classes, you know, on a Tuesday and a Thursday night or on a Saturday morning. And then they go off and do their own thing, you know, and they wouldn't. Maybe one or two of them, you know, might develop a bit of a bond, but. Um, but to all intents and purposes, there was no evidence that they were communicating to any great extent outside of the classroom with their fellow students, whereas the, the online students were.
1: Yeah.
2: Yes, but perhaps um, today they they would be communicating more through WhatsApp group, yeah, sure, uh, etc. Yeah, yeah. But I, I do remember that time where there wasn't that sense, great sense of community. Right. Right.
3: Yeah, they just yeah, they finish their class and go off and do their own thing. Hit hit the bar. That's true.
1: Although there, although there wasn't yeah. one of those at Hong Kong yeah. did, as I recall. Um just it still isn't. Uh it still isn't just, uh, <laughs> uh, you're beginning to sort of round off here, David. You you've mentioned a few uh, cons already, one or, one or two pros. I wonder if sort of if you can help summarize some of the, the pros and cons of you know working with this technology, working online, that you think are sort of affordances, things that we can do well and, yeah. and things that are still problematic well, for, in your eyes yeah yeah there was just so much that i could say but i don't really so
3: individualization you know the fact that uh, students can get students, students get in, instant feedback on on their um on their work one of the great innovations that was developed at global english was that all of the content was uh, was tagged so when the students were doing an exercise the uh it might be a listening exercise a reading exercise right whatever um if The student was consistently making a mistake it might be say this for example to say it's irregular past tense forms of the verb um, the the instructors who developed the programs had worked out for all of the all the grammatical features and so on and so forth for each of the ten levels what the what the average uh, accuracy rate would be so for level three it might be that uh, students at level three typically Got irregular past uh, irregular past verbs um, correct about fifty five percent of the time, but then an individual student might be getting it, getting that feature at that level correct only about twenty percent of the time. So the program would then prompt the student to go off to the there was a resource room, go off to the resource room and do additional activities mm-hmm. to improve their ability in that particular that particular structure. Um, yes, other other pros, you know that. Computers are a patient tutor. Um, it, doesn't, it The computer doesn't go red in the face and um, jump up and down when the student gets something mm-hmm. wrong. Um, well, not like I tests. I can remember <laughs> being in the MMLC <laughs> M- M- once and I was just walking around and the students were doing, they developed, I developed some uh, learning contracts with them and there was one student who wanted to work on their pronunciation and um, so I, directed them to a, uh, an online pronunciation program, and he, I noticed he was doing this particular exercise over and over again, so I stood behind him, and he did this particular pronunciation exercise 76 times,
2: and <laughs> well, and you were standing there for while no, well, he was doing it, 76
3: yeah, times. Yeah, the, the sacrifices you make in the interests of doing research. <laughs>
2: That's for sure. <laughs> it's also the
3: flexibility, you know, the, the, the much greater freedom for students to, for example, you know, if you, if you, if you have a recorded lecture or a recorded discussion of one kind or another or a podcast, then the, the, the students can listen to those any time mm. they like. Um, the other great thing about technology in, as a management tool is that um, most most management systems these days will, will, will track and record and will give you, the teacher, uh, information about just how much time the students are spending on the platform and what they're, what they're doing at that particular mm-hmm. time. And so therefore, uh, you can monitor and uh, the their use of the uh, program. Um, mm-hmm. there, there are lots of, um, the, the, the ability to archive the lessons as well. Right from the beginning, even when we had uh, the text chat, we archived the lessons from, uh, from Anaheim University and the student, particularly the second language students really appreciated that because, uh, and certainly when we migrated to voice and video, they could often read they could often go back, and things that they had missed because the lecturer got very excited and was chattering chatting away too uh, too quickly, they could go back and they could and if some the teacher made a reference in class you know to a, to a, a book or something they should read, they could go back and then uh, check that out. I got into so let me just do a wrap by saying the reason I got into on, this online game in the first place was because it offered the opportunity to bring world class graduate programs to teachers who. We're working in very difficult situations. It might might be um, uh, expats working in northern Thailand or in the Philippines, where in order to get a graduate degree, they would have to go back to the states, Canada, Australia, the UK, or mm-hmm. wherever, um, giving up their giving up their salary and um, uh, making a considerable sacrifice in relocating their families and so on. With the with this program, they could stay in they could stay in situ. They could continue working, learning, earning as they as they were learning, but also they were able to contest the ideas that they were getting in the master's program in the realities of their classroom the very next day, and then, then give feedback. So, will this work, or I made, this, you know, I made these changes, and so on and so forth. The other advantage was that I was able to recruit uh, probably the best, one of the best faculties in the world, because uh, I pulled, pulled in all the bets. At one stage, I think the, faculty, the, the whole faculty were former TESOL presidents. There was me, Kathy Bailey, Marianne Christensen, Denise Murray, Jun Liu, and Andy wow. Curtis. All former presidents. All starting. Detailed. Yeah. Right. And then we we put a we had a few ring ins like Rod Ellis, you know, who taught the second who taught the um, <laughs> SLA course, and of course, you know, he's probably the top person in the world. So that. So for example, in in so we we, we also in addition to our regular students, we we did some very interesting work. We got a contract with the uh, Colombian Department of Education to put uh, two hundred. Of their teachers through the the master's degree, and um, we had students. I remember one student um, sending me an, e- an email because she taught in a small town, one of these one of these river towns in northern Columbia, um, and um, and so she was she was living in a village, and the river flooded, and the, the bridge got washed out. And she said, "Oh, I'm sorry, I can't I can't get into into the into town to the library. She used to prefer going to the library because uh, the 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 com- the computer speed in her village was very very slow but I got this email saying I won't be able to make the class tonight because the the river's flooded and washed the bridge away <laughs> but so I mean that that just but once again it illustrates the fact that we could we could bring this really high quality um, learning experience graduate learning experience to to teachers who otherwise would have no hope of having such a program and in that one we we had a link with uh, Sabana University in Bogota, and we'd go and do our residentials there, and the, te- the teachers would come from all over Colombia. And that was a party, I have to tell you. <laughs> I can
1: imagine.
2: Of course, the Colombians know how <laughs> to party. Surprised you made <laughs> it
1: back. <laughs> well, I think we better... <laughs> I'm surprised I wanted to come back. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we better um, think about wrapping it up there, David. We've taken up a lot of your time already, but I want to thank you again for. There's a lot of food for thought there. I think in uh, you it know thinking about technology is, yeah. versus face to face, it's not that simple. Uh, you know, which is better, yeah. which is not. They're quite different entities, and I think you've given us a lot to think about there in terms of what we should be considering uh, when you when you're moving to online. Um, there's yeah, some fascinating insights there david so i want to thank you very much for your time um yeah thank you so I, much david. I, please I come please it. come back to the podcast another time anytime yeah i got i got through about a quarter of what i wanted to say well, but... t- save the rest for another episode <laughs> yes hopefully i got hopefully we have got out in before anybody's gone uh-huh. <laughs> great thanks a <laughs> lot david see you yeah, bye-bye thanks, bye.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Teachers Lift. If you have, we'd appreciate if you could subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. We've got links to Facebook, Twitter, and all the major social media accounts at teacherslift.com. I hope you'll take a moment to like and subscribe. Teachers Lift is a collaborative product produced by the Center for Language Education at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. English Language Centre at the Hong Kong Polytechnic University, and the Centre for Applied English Studies at the University of Hong Kong. This episode was recorded on March 27th. Thanks again for joining us on Teachers Lift.